Blog Talk Radio. It did not start the way it was supposed to. Well, welcome, folks. This is Ed the Pagan. And our opening oh, wasn't quite there. It's supposed to automatically start, so I will look it up for you. But I am so glad to be back here. This is absolutely one of the biggest, uh, bigger moments as we have been at this for, oh, I don't know, um, 13 years as of today. Pagans Tonight Radio, the voice of the pagan world, featuring the man with all the questions that some don't want you to hear. Called the most dangerous person you will ever listen to, the ever-curious digital pioneer, Ed the Pagan. Pagans Tonight Radio is sponsored by WitchGool.com, your anyone, anywhere, anytime online magical education. All righty, I'm so glad they've gotten that out of the way. So I'm your host. Um, I've been doing radio for now almost 30 years, and podcasting in particular, as big as the night, started here exactly 13 years ago. Um, before that, I did a couple of months as Witch Cool Live. So podcasting has been part of my life. Radio has been part of my life. We have thousands of episodes, literally 3,000 different sessions with more than 5,000 different shows over the last 13 years. And then we took some breaks, and we've done some other things. And now I'm back, and we're going to be back on a 10 o'clock schedule, Eastern time, um, and probably for a while, four days a week. And uh, we'll be offering our ideology, our philosophy, our concepts of it. I really want to thank right now probably the individual who probably most got me into radio, and that is Captain Infinitesimal. His name is, his name is also Scott Smintek and uh, Lady Logan. Uh, back in 92, uh, we were had an office and we were looking for uh, that. He walked into the office and said, I do radio. And I said, oh, I'd like to buy some advertising. And he sold me on the idea of a brokered radio show. That's right, brokered, meaning you buy your time. And that's what we did in Chicago. We bought our time. And we got into the radio there, and uh, we did an hour-long show on W-O-N-X, 1590 AM, the show at the end of your dial. And uh, we would do uh, BBX radio. We would do a number of of shows in the 92, 93, 94 area called Psychic Chicago. And it was a very different idea. I always tell people I spent $75 an hour to put that show on. And it could cost a lot more. So people bought radio time by the hour, and they were able to get their shows out. And that's what gave me a certain amount of freedom. The biggest thing I believe in is this idea that we need to be free to uh, build our own ideas, build our own concepts of the media. Uh, when I began, media was the biggest game you could be on. Could you be in the newspapers? Could you be in television? Could you be in on the radio? Could you be in magazines? <clears throat> and so that was always the biggest indication. And it was important because it was scarce. It was because there's a scarcity. There's only so much ink and so much paper and so many hours on the radio and so only so many uh, newspaper articles to be published and so many minutes on the news. 
So everybody competed for that time. And that's how you knew you broke through is when you could break into any of those mainstream media systems. And when I learned that you could do your own radio show, and later I found out cable shows and all what I've learned since then of being able to do it was it was very important in the early days. And that's what got me to be known as Pioneer. I was one of the very first shows uh, that was independently owned and operated and brought to uh, ideas of paganism in a major city. Um, It spawned off other shows like uh, The Witching Hour and other things. But in those early 90s, we were very big. And I did telepathic radio, read turn of the century, did IRC radio. And we began blog talk radio after a small hiatus. And uh, we were doing that. And we did that for quite some time. And we're continuing to do it in little bits and pieces. But this is a return back to format. And what do we mean by format? It means I want to talk and have a conversation. This is a show about paganism per se. It's about pagans and the way they live their lives. And one of the first things to do, and I'm going to bring every day I'm going to have a question. One of the things I'm best known for is my questions. Um, so my first question is, is what is, and I ask it on my, my Facebook page. You can find me on my Facebook page. And it was, my first question is, what do you want to know about our community on a regular basis? What do you want to be updated for? And I thought that was a very important and interesting question. And so, yes, we, we've gotten so so that it was important. It was asked, and some people answered it. And you can uh, answer it on air if you'd like uh, sometime. And that will be at, by calling in to 646-787-1928. I'm not going to give it out a lot tonight. I think there is going to be a chance where you uh, – are going to learn the number. People are going to do this to grow. I am a big believer in you overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate any this. So my question was simple. What do you want to know about pagan community on a regular basis? And that's my idea of the, of the show. We're going to do that. Um, and so some of the answers were pretty interesting. Uh, so let me go ahead. Um, Harold said, what's trending? That makes sense. Scott, uh, shifts in community consciousness, patterns and connections. Um, Alfred said, up and comers, those who are working more quietly, comparative practice, trends in general community belief lies, perhaps in the historical tie-ins. I can see that. Um, up and coming voices of the next generation of pagans, look for, for patterns and trends where the craft is headed. I'm very good at that. I spend a lot of time studying pagans. I don't study paganism so much I study pagans. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so there's some interesting discussions. Uh, Pat says when and where festivals are. They'd like to know more about that. Uh, Mary said up and coming new voices, new books, podcasts, YouTube channels, pagan music, and everything else. And later this week, I want to talk about TikTok witches. I really do want to talk about them. I think there are a lot of that. Uh, Katrina, Katerina said best-selling authors, highest attended events, which groups are local and most active. Sam says, the interplay of new and old ideas, concepts, and visions. Um, so, yeah, we got some of that. Some people want to talk about different deities, who's local to me. And, it, and, and there was even the statement, was, is there such thing as a pagan community? So all of that together is just bringing us a sort of energy. And I really like that. I really love the feel of that. And so... Uh, I think that's an important part of what we're going to do. 
Wow, I'm I'm I am so out of practice, folks. And so I'm just trying to knock off the rust and get us started here. But so what I'm going to do is, is going we're going to offer any sort of conversation, talk, and actions that we want to do. And so I'm going to bring you right now is the first uh, what is a very much a exclusive with the infamous and famous and really growing personality of Byron Ballard. I have an interview that I did with her at Starwoods that I'm going to share with you. That's a relatively short interview, uh, and it's a lot of fun. But it's going to talk about it. But Byron Ballard has become a voice in our community. Since I kind of got out of radio as a full-time action, where I've been doing this, I have found, you know, Byron has come in, has come in, and she's a reverend, she's a witch, she's a Wiccan, she's Appalachian, she does a lot of Appalachian, She's a permaculturist, and we actually know her, knew of each other from an, absolutely from a different world than the pagan world. Um, when I was known as the worm guy, yeah, one time I was known as the worm guy. Still am a little bit. Um, still love that sort of thing, but it came in there. And so she's been really making things. And she talks about um, a lot about power time and how the universe changes and how the world is doing. And so I've got this very active, very powerful piece. And she is quite a voice. Byron Ballard, look her up, um, The Village Witch. Look her up, find more about her. She's got some really great books out. And we'll talk more about that. But I, I just want to share this. And we're going to share this. And I'm going to bring you so many interviews coming out there. I've done over 600 interviews. But this one was at Starwood. And it was a lot of fun. Welcome, everybody, to Back to Starwood, the, the hybrid virtual of the Starwood 2.0 that's been coming out. And I'm going to get a chance to get an exclusive interview with uh, the great Byron Ballard, as you know. Um, as you know, he's been just eating up the, uh, uh, the virtual world and has been so available and has gotten to create so much material. But here we are with her actually really honest God live. How are you doing, Byron? I am doing okay. It has been... Such a luscious, yummy Starwood. Mm -hmm. And part of that, of course, is that we weren't together last year. Except there was like a little virtual component because I taught some classes mm -hmm. at Starwood. But it is not the same as being up on that stage and having people all around you so you really are interacting with people. That's huge, huge. But it's been a delightful Starwood. The rain is a little, you know, it's a challenge, but we're camping. That's the way that works. Now, you had one of your classes broadcast, right? Yes. Uh, I did a class Thursday mm -hmm. on creating and using a fetch, mm -hmm. which is a magical technique for finding out information, for getting material objects, as you well know, sir. Mm -hmm. um, and then yesterday I did a class on called Honey on the Stones, and it's about sex magic. And that one was not filmed. No, it was supposed to be filmed, and I always, and for those of you who know this class, hello, um, I almost always do this class in an open robe, and so I had a kind of a flowing robe to wear and pants because they told me, oh, no, no, you can't be, you, you can't be naked on video, no, 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 I guess it's like still FCC rules, maybe, I don't know, so we had a huge rainstorm ahead of time, huge, and I went up there with my little pants and my little robe. And they decided that the equipment was too wet, and they didn't 
the potential for the wet mm -hmm. equipment was too dangerous, so they decided they weren't going to film it after all. And as soon as he told me that, I took off my clothes. I was like, oh boy, I get to do it the way I always do it. And, and it was good. It was, uh, it was, there were 50 plus people there, mm -hmm. which is the largest class I've ever had at Star Wars. And um, they were outfitted on stage and everything else. And it's, it's one of the things about the mysteries of a live event. Things like that do happen, where you're able to present that live piece. And I think the uh, virtual stuff has a great way to allow people to expand. I think it's going to be something that's going to grow. Oh, it is, it is the way to go. And I've been talking to a lot of festival organizers and a lot of festival attendees. I've been talking to vendors. And we've been saying that the virtual world is going to open up all of festivals. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be incumbent on festival organizers from here on out to have a virtual component as well as a live in-person component because there's so many reasons people can't attend festivals. They can't give up a week of their lives to mm -hmm. do that. They, are, they have mobility issues. They have other disability issues that keep them from coming out and camping, even in an RV. There are people who it's an affordability issue. Mm -hmm. So they can pay less money. They can stay at home. And for presenters... It means that, that people can do what I did a few weeks ago. I presented at three festivals in one weekend, and I did it all from my living room. And what I lost in that weekend was an hour and a half here, an hour and 45 minutes here, and an hour and 15 minutes there. I did not have to fly to Washington State and spend four days in a campground, campground in order to present less than two hours material. So I've been really thinking about this a little bit, and I think I want to bring it up in a little bit. I want to get to some of the more pertinent things that are happening that are so exciting. But the idea of that, of that idea that you've done a lot of virtual and couldn't prepare you for live events. But I want to bring that up after, and that's real thunder and lightning, or is it? Or is it? Did you buy the weather component? Uh, <laughs> or the simulation? It's the weather app. Yeah. Um, I hope you'll let me buy the film because I can see you start with the VR game. Uh, but uh, but you're going to have a book coming out. You, you've yes. always so 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 you're a prolific writer. I I write a lot. Yeah. And you've done some pretty amazing books. Thank you. The latest one, uh, publishing. The one that came out in February. Yes, the publishing. The get credentials on Publishers Week magazine. No, the one that's coming out. I've got, right. uh, I've got one coming out uh, August the first, mm -hmm. which is called Seasons of a Magical Life. Right. And I got a wonderful review in the religion section of Publishers Weekly. Mm -hmm. And I'm a former bookseller. Before I was a professional writer, I was a bookseller. And mm -hmm. so the importance of um, something in Publishers Weekly. I, I still am kind of news about it. I bet you are. That is kind of that. So let's talk about, well, the book you're most known for is your Appalachian Magic books. Yes, and I have three books on Appalachian Folk Magic, mm -hmm. which is both my study and my craft. Yep. So I tell you more about this? No, I want to think about this. So, so, so Magical Life is next. Let's, I want to make sure we get it in there. So Magical Life is the next one. Seasons of Magical Magic, okay. Correct. Yep. Boy, I... I Edism today, you would just have been slaughtered right there. Okay. Well, and I have to tell you that it, previously I worked with 
small independent press. Mm -hmm. And I picked the titles to my book. But for this book and for the book that came out in February from Llewellyn, I didn't pick the titles. The publishers picked the titles. And so sometimes I don't remember the names of the book. So I have to stop and go. Like the one that came out from Llewellyn is called Roots, Branches, and Spirits, Folkways and Witchery of Appalachia. But I have to stop, and my mnemonic thing to remember is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Roots, Branches, and Spirits. And that's how I remember. Um, so that one came out in, in February, and that is the third of the Appalachian Cup Magic books. Um, I love hearing the thunder in the distance. We may not love it when the lightning strikes right over there, but I love hearing it. I understand that. It's great. Um, so the magic, uh, the seasons of the magical life. <laughs> this is a book of my heart. Okay, you've said me, that. Yeah, let me just give you a little bit about mm -hmm. this book that, that is so deeply meaningful to me. So I, I have, for many, many years, identified myself as a garden variety pagan. Mm -hmm. I follow the cycle of the seasons of the agricultural year. That's what mm -hmm. I teach. I teach that you will deepen your spirituality through actually having a relationship with the planet. And so many people, especially people who live in a, an urban area rather than a rural area or a suburban area, they don't, it's like, yeah, I'm kind of an earth religionist, but, you know, there's not a lot of earth around me. As though the built environment is not still part of the planet. Mm -hmm. So I wanted a book that basically would cajole people, would tease people, would lure people into a deeper relationship with the planet in order to deepen their spirituality. <laughs> um, so it's a book. It's a book of my heart. I really want. I really wanted so much to just be able to express how. I don't want to use the word precious, but I guess I'm going to. How precious everything we have is because mm -hmm. the chances of losing it are so really astronomically good. <coughs> and and so I wrote it. And uh, my writing process is I figure out about how many words I want to write, and I just vomit them out. Mm -hmm. It's like I just keep writing and writing and writing and writing. So I'm a person who benefits from and is appreciative of an editor, a really good editor, who will take that... 60, 70, 80,000 words and sh help shape it into what it needs to be. And I was very fortunate with this book and with Wiser, who's the publisher for it. They gave me a team of editors. So there was the first, it hit the first editor mm -hmm. who threw out some extraneous crap. But by the time we got to the line edit, it really was tight. It was a tight book and it said what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. But now here's the, here's the other reality of being an author. So there's this book. There's the book of my heart that I love, that I've been wanting to write, itching to write for so long. They do all the editing, and then I'm thinking, yeah, but is it any good? Is that book any good? Ugh. I don't really know. And I went back and read through it, and I was like, eh, I don't know. I'm saying anything special. And then the Publishers Weekly Review came out. So... Yeah. So I am. I felt for a little while, I felt, oh, that was really... But now I'm at that, that place, it's coming out in two weeks, and it's like, I don't know, is it any good? I don't know. 
I've gotten some great endorsements. Right. One of my teachers and someone I admire greatly, Caitlin Matthews, gave it a wonderful endorsement. That's good. So, yeah. Ultimately, it's about the uh, the market is the, is the eventual real world judge of your book, right? Absolutely. And I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. And I, that's not too big a word. I was thrilled with what happened with the Llewellyn book because it sold out at the publisher on the day it was released and didn't come back into print. And it, it got a second edition okayed on the day it was released. So that's a tribute to the people who wanted to read that book. And, mm-hmm. and it's on a, at least it's second printing now. I haven't I haven't talked to Llewellyn to see if there's been a third printing yet. But it's doing really well. But that's Appalachian Punk Magic. And mm-hmm. that is a hot commodity right now. Well, it really is a hot commodity. And being a folk magician, a lot of people want to know a lot about that. But let's be honest, you've come about this honestly. This isn't like you suddenly becoming, going from being old to this. This is you, you're right. honestly Appalachian. You're yes, not. this is not culturally appropriative. Um, I got in trouble with some people uh, in social media a few years back, uh, some folks in California, and they were like, we will destroy your career. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I'm a multi-generational Appalachian subsistence farmer. What the fuck do you think you can do to me? <laughs> so, yeah, they're going to send me back to the farm, mm-hmm. I guess, where I'll grow the best tomatoes in the county. I think so. When they hear that, people think of the idea of a bumpkin, a country folk, somebody who's less than knowledgeable. Oof, oof. Right? Um, well, let me just address the, the H word. So there are words in every culture mm-hmm. that the culture can use within the culture for each other. Mm-hmm. And we all know the big one for that is the word that none of us are going to say in public. Right. The word hillbilly, which I do not use in public in any mm-hmm. real way, that can be used between two Appalachian people. Mm-hmm. So my buddy in Kentucky, we can say, well, I had one of those hillbilly throwdowns. You know how it is. We ate a whole lot of barbecue and we drank a whole lot of beer. That's okay. Because we're speaking within the culture. Mm-hmm. If I talk to somebody from New York, New Jersey, California, mm-hmm. Montana, and they use the word hillbilly, that's not what they mean. Mm-hmm. And I know that. And mm-hmm. everybody in Appalachia knows that. We fight this stereotype constantly. Mm-hmm. So I don't use that word, and I encourage people who are studying Appalachian folk magic to not use that word either. Because it's an insulting word, and we all know what it means. Right. And you're an amazingly educated person by the rules of society. <laughs> I am. I have a terminal degree in my field. Right. And that's a, so, it is, so it isn't this idea. So you went and learned, you know, got your, your, your degrees. Yes. Master's, right? You, you, I have you, an MFA, yeah. Okay. Let's um, I have to tell you, I did a paper, and it's one of the things that inspired me to write about this. I was asked to present a paper at Harvard mm-hmm. in 2008, I think for um, a colloquium called Forging Folklore, because mm-hmm. I'm a folklore. And, I d- and in this paper, I talk, about, I talk about, I am your worst nightmare. I'm an educated redneck. <laughs> so I walk between those worlds, mm-hmm. and, um, and you have to code switch. I've been code switching all my life. I've been code switching since... In the second grade, I had a teacher from Chicago mm-hmm. who kept correcting my speech. And I learned how to, I learned, started learning how the outside world wanted me to talk. Then I went on to be, uh, to do Shakespearean acting and group tragedy, very formal, high end mm-hmm. theater. 
and eliminated my accent for the most part. So I spent the past 15 years mm -hmm. relearning how to talk. And it's been fascinating because I hear things come out of my mouth and I think, no, that's not the way I really used to say it. And, and so I hear myself sounding like somebody who's faking my accent. Mm. And it took me a good five years to get to the place where I could just turn it off and turn it on. And now I do a podcast called Weird Mountain Gals. Mm -hmm. And that is a riff on all those bluegrass groups that were called the something mountain boys, clinch mountain boys. So we're the weird mountain gals. And my partner, Alicia, and I sit down and we just get started. And it, and it flows now. Right. So I have that accent, and then I have my, you know, talking to city people accent. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know that some people can't understand me when I talk in my natural native accent. They just can't. And part of the reason is because the language is very different. Mm -hmm. But the other reason is because as soon as they hear it, they into their head comes uneducated. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly bad teeth, which I will own. I do have that. But all those stereotypes that have come to be held, mm -hmm. as you said, the word bumpkin, has right. been held for so long about Appalachians. Only because that's a, not yet a, having dealt with being another one of those words that yeah. is not meant to be favorable. No, no, right, no. Right. And I wanted to just clear up, you know, the, one of the things that you've done is you've spent a long time learning all sorts of different mm -hmm. ideas. But now one of the things I think that you do really, really well and I think it's very important is that you're starting to talk about the tower times, the idea of what is happening. You've been a, you have been a vocal activist, and I think there's a lot of the people who are entering into witchcraft well beyond the confines of the community in the sense of all sorts of different ways. You know, the young radical, the old feminist, and they're really angry. Some people call them angry women. Some, I, some people call them powered women. But they've taken on... And the, they can be powered and angry women. Right, and you've been talking with them a lot. <laughs> You know, through your Facebook and through your po through your festivals yeah. and through your uh, you, uh, your book, you, uh, book of it, and that book is it's called uh, oh Earthwork. No, it's called Earthwork Ceremonies okay. and Towers. I want to say Earthwork Ceremonies and Towers. Yeah, yeah and yeah, that's yeah. an essential part about what we're facing, kind of. Right, and I've been talking about this for more than two decades. Okay. Um, and then seeing the omens and the signs around it, because I'm also an Appalachian omen reader. So in the late 90s, we started talking about the collapse of these top-down systems. And I'm a, I'm a tarot reader. I've been reading cards since I was 12. And I named it after the tarot cards, mm -hmm. the tower. And what I believe in my both waking visions and philosophical thought about it is that we are in one of those extraordinarily important historical liminal times mm -hmm. where we have an option to change how the future goes. We've been in those dozens and dozens of times in human history all over the world. This shape, the top down, what we've come to call patriarchal structure, is incredibly efficient and it's easy to maintain. And the mistake we have made again and again is that we go, oh, here's the structure, and this person on top, oh, but that person is not good. That person is a dictator. That person is evil. That person is whatever we want to wrap around, how we don't like the leadership at that point. 
But all we need to do is replace who's on the top of the pyramid. It's all going to be okay. Well, it's not going to be okay. Because the problem is the shape. The problem is not who's on top. I'm going to pause for a minute so the ice truck can go by. The problem is not who's on top, it's the shape. Mm -hmm. And if the entire thing is upheld by the people on the base of this pyramid, or sometimes people like to talk about a ladder, it's a ladder. But either way, all the people that sustain it are on the bottom and they get the least benefit for it. And because of that, then periodically we have a revolution that happened during the age of so-called enlightenment, when we got the form of government in this country that nobody else had ever seen before. And we cobbled it together from a lot of different places including the Iroquois Confederation. But it was brand new. The idea that people could govern themselves through agents was extraordinary. Certainly Europeans had, had never seen that. But what's happened now is that we have another opportunity. So the towers are falling. We see that all the time. When I first started talking about this, people are so dubious. They were like, oh, yeah, 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 it's almost the end of the millennium. Yeah, 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 everybody has an end times prophecy. Okay, whatever, whatever. And then the two towers fell in New York. Mm -hmm. And some people went, oh, hmm. And up to this very day, mm -hmm. what was it, three weeks ago, the condos fell in right. Florida. All over my social media feed, it was like, is this part of tower time? Yes, it is definitely part of tower time. Because these systems are failing. Right. These top-down systems, no matter what it is, education, medicine, religion, government, mm -hmm. they, they fall, they recalibrate, and then they continue to fall. So now is the time. Oh, I'm getting in my preaching voice. Hang on. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is incumbent on us is to put the new systems, the new egalitarian systems in place now. Mm -hmm. We should have done it 10 years ago. Put them together now so that when it falls, we don't go, oh, no, the tower has fallen. We must build it back again and put a strong person on the top to lead us. No. The problem with the leadership vacuum that we are seeing all over the world is that leadership has to be reconstructed, too. Mm -hmm. Leadership can't be one charismatic or one powerful person. It cannot be that anymore. And that's why it feels like a vacuum to us, because there need to be triplets and quadruplets and how many, however many people need to hold pieces of the power so it's no longer power over, it is power with. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been dreaming of for so long. And for anybody listening, if you don't know, Rion Eisler's Chalice and the Blade mm -hmm. is an older book, but it, it lays this out so beautifully that power over is what we've been dealing with basically for 6,000 years, maybe more. Mm -hmm. And it's time for a new thing. It's time to figure out how we have power with each other. How, because there's so, there's so much work to do, and many hands really do make light work, and we all need to work together as much as we can. And that's the rub. We are individuals. Mm -hmm. And I cannot tell you how many times, up until about four years ago, even after my book came out, it came out in 2018, mm -hmm. the Tower Time book, and people were still laughing, like, oh, yeah, Tower Time, whatever, whatever. Now... That that phrase is everywhere. So if there was a, a a conference in California, and they did a whole afternoon track on now it is tower time. What do we do? 
And people contact me all the time and go, is it okay to use the phrase shower time? And I go, yeah, absolutely. Because this is more of an open message for you, not a closed message. Absolutely wide open. Right. Because the circles on the ground, which is what I call creating the new systems, mm -hmm. that's going to look different where I am than where you are. The systems may be different. They may need to be different. It's going to be different where I am in Western North Carolina than it is going to be for the Navajo Nation. They're going to need different systems, but they are going to have to do so you're develop talk, those. So you've used the word before, relocalization. I talk about that a lot. And that means? One, one of the answers to where we are now globally is that we need to relocalize everything. The idea that you can go into the grocery store in January in Western North Carolina and you can buy fresh strawberries ought to be seen as an obscenity. You should not be able to have fresh strawberries. You should understand that fresh strawberries will come in June. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to relocalize. Now, for some people, that fresh strawberry analogy can drive them to some really creative places. Mm -hmm. So I am going to dig an enormous trench, and over it I am going to put uh, a garden tunnel. And so I'm going to be below the permafrost line. And I'm going to make sure there's extra light. So I may be able to give you strawberries in January right in western North Carolina that I grew three miles away. Mm -hmm. So the opportunities for us as humans <coughs> to do new and exciting things, it's everywhere, everywhere. When I think that one of the hotbeds of permaculture right now in the United States is Detroit, Michigan, mm -hmm. I am astounded, astounded. And you go there, and there are people, they're doing permaculture in a way we didn't dream of permaculture 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So these ideas, we need to take them into our hearts, and then we need to make them our own, instead of just parroting what somebody else has done. Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody has already invented the wheel in Texas, make your own kind of wheel. Mm -hmm. Don't feel like you have to totally reinvent it. But what works, again, what works in Dallas, Texas, is not necessarily going to work in southern Ohio. And that has to do not only with climate, but it has to do with the people. Mm -hmm. And that is maybe the biggest, the biggest impediment to all of this, the building on the ground, is that we have become such a nomadic nation that everywhere is, almost everywhere is a melting pot. But what also happens is that many of the people who are doing that migration are people with great wealth from somewhere else who move into a community and they want to change it immediately. Mm -hmm. So the language that they use to talk to the people who are already on the ground in that community, they, they tend to be pretty insulting. Oh, absolutely. And so the, we have to learn how it is we talk to each other again. We have to learn how it is we meet each other where we are, which, yes, I know that's a phrase from the 70s, but we really sit down together and... And I speak how I speak, and you speak how you speak. And instead of immediately being triggered by that and understanding that I come from a more erudite position, mm -hmm. that I know all of the buzzwords of the day, and so I can, I can negate what you are saying. I don't have to listen to what you're saying because I already know better. And that's where we are right now, not only in social media, but on the ground. So... The inner communication, if we, if we can't communicate with each other in a real and significant way, then we are lost 
And I'm not talking about loss to the culture. I'm talking about loss to the species. Mm-hmm. And there, Lovelock, who did the Gaia hypothesis, one of his most recent books is called The Revenge of Gaia. And his firm belief, and he's an old man now, his firm belief is that by 2050, we will be discrete breeding populations in the last bits of arable land on the planet. That's our species. Mm-hmm. Is that what we want? Is that what we want? But no, we play Russian roulette all the time. It's like, maybe that <coughs> I'm I'm just going to keep going on the way I go on. Maybe that won't happen. As California burns, mm-hmm. as Florida slips under the under the waves, that maybe won't happen. So, yeah. Pay attention, folks. And there'll be more on this. Uh, Byron speaks a lot about this at her webpage, the uh, the village the village witch, right? My village witch. My village witch. Mm-hmm. And you certainly are everybody's uh, village witch. I am. I really am the village witch in my community. It's not just the name. I mm-hmm. I do baby blessings and I do funerals and I do weddings and I do house blessings. And when people break land to put in a new garden, they go, would you just come by and just give it, you know, do your thing. Just come do your thing. Absolutely. And I go do my thing. So um, we're going to do one last piece. And that is that you, you in all of this energy... One of the things you empower women is to play with their energy, to, mm-hmm. to work their energy. That, that to be, you say, to be a witch, you have to practice witchcraft. I absolutely say that. So it's the last thought. A lot of people are going to see this. They're going to see you for the first time, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And they, you know, they've heard you talk about this sort of idea. And I know one of the first things they, they really want to start deal, dealing with the energy of the planet, they have to take control of their own energy. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about that? As a, oh, happily, yeah. yeah. I talk a lot about the uses of energy. And and I come from an era in the 70s where women sat together in these empowerment circles. Oh, and there was this beautiful sisterhood, and we talked about power and the uses of power. And then we got to some place where we were like, okay, I'm empowered. Okay, I'm standing in my power. Well, the next step is wielding power, and we don't have such good guideposts for that. Mm-hmm. But we're learning now what it means to be empowered, either as a woman or as a minority class or just as anyone. How it is we use power in the service of life, in the service of the planet, in service to our community. I also talk a lot about weaving, like weaving a basket, that we weave these containers and we do that. I don't weave the basket. We all weave the basket. And into that container, we put in hopes and fears and dreams, but we also put in hard work. Mm-hmm. Because the way you make sure your community not only survives but thrives is that you look beyond what the current models are. And I mean the current very modern models. Mm-hmm. We look beyond all of that, and we go deep into thinking about what this particular community needs, which is a unique community. All communities, like all families, are unique, absolutely unique. And some are made up of people who all want to get together and make jam. There's a a story I love to tell about a church in Texas, and they did a big community garden. Mm -hmm. It's an Episcopal church. They did a big community garden on the land of the church in their big old front yard. You know how... um, these denom- major denomination churches have enormous front yards that they have to mow all the time. So they did a community garden. And then the church burned down. And rather than rebuild the church, they started meeting in the community garden. So the pastor would be there, the priest. 
handing out lemonade, handing out hose, handing out shovels, handing out rakes. And when it was time for the sermon, he would stand up from wherever he was, and people would maybe stop and li- stop and lean on their hoe and listen, or they would just keep working, and he would give the homily. And that, to me, feels like a model of how pagan peoples, like our, my people, mm-hmm. can work together with people who we perceive as having a very different set of um, things that are important to them and how we can begin to weave that together and to make that basket, to create that basket. Wow. So let's go ahead and so everybody pick up your book, Seasons of a Magical Life. Let's let's sell it out again. Yes, Seasons of a Magical Life. Uh, Depending on when they see this, it can be pre-ordered until August 1. Mm -hmm. If you pre-order it from my local indie bookstore, which is malapropscafe.com, then I will sign it for you before it gets shipped out. Because I just go in and they put me in the back room with stacks of books and I just sign them all. And even after that, if you just want to order a book, if you order it from there, they will ship it to you and I will sign it. Terrific. Well, thank you very much. And uh, that is very powerful. And we'll be talking more with Byron as history moves forward. Thanks. And that was uh, Starwood Area. Thank you for bearing through the first part of it. As we had storms and traffic and noise and all the things you get at festivals. But that was an uh, authentic uh, piece. And her book has come out, and it did sell so well. And we want to keep out there. Check it out, myvillagewitch.com. And also go ahead and look for Byron Ballard. And buy, look her up on Amazon or wherever your local bookstore is. And remember, try to buy at your local bookstore. I believe you should always try to buy from them first. Because, well, you may want someday to have community. And so that is a strong part of where our community lies. And so one of the things I think there's a book that's coming out on November 3rd called Good Ancestor by R. Brazanowski. And I was listening to it in the long now today. And it talks really about the same thing that Byron's talking about when we get an interview with him. But right now we really need to start considering what type of ancestors we're going to be what we're going to do to take care of ourselves and take care of our community and really get past this uh, short-termism that is being uh, crammed down to us. And I'm as responsible for that as much as anybody. I I, I like those things. But I do tend to take a long look at how the world works. So I'm really fortunate in, in that. And so to talk about what it is today, today is the gracious idea that we are now 13 years into Pagans Tonight. And now this is going to be my revival to restart the program. I had so many people who have done so well with us. Pam Kelly, who is a station manager. Lady Logan, who was, uh, who, who was the first station manager. Uh, myself, which has acted from time to time. We have so many people, and we've done so many interviews. We literally have over 6,000 hours of back time on Pagans Tonight radio. And uh, we have uh, interviews with and by all sorts of different uh, groups and, and, and some of your leaders. And we're going to start playing back some of those back ones. We're going to start kind of posting it about it and, and really kind of just kind of deal with it. And we know that we did. You know, we have over two and a half million downloads of all the shows we've done. But let's start with this one. And uh, and so we also want to talk about a lot of other things. Uh, what do you want to talk about? So you can talk about it everything else. 
but this is I'm going to go ahead and play a song by Celia. I really like uh, like what it has to say, and it's a, it's a quick song. Three uh, Celia. It's called Everyday Goddess. Really no big deal. And this is Everyday Goddess. She's a mother up to work. She is driving in her car. She's a goddess in the elevator, rising like a star. They say she's working like a man, but they don't understand. She's dancing with the goddess in her heart. She's that woman on the phone. She's smoothing out a deal. And though her back is And, you know, we're going to bring in the music, too. We've always done music. We have more concerts you can imagine, both between the combination of Fake and Sight Radio. Thirteen years ago, which we started this night, we have uh, so many concerts and so many music that we have done, so many different items on. And so we're really grateful for that. And then we have other subjects and everything else. But starting today, uh, we're, we're going to bring this now to this first very first show to a close. Remember, 646 787-1928 will be the phone number you can call in. And we'll be back tomorrow with even more information. So starting tomorrow night, 10 o'clock, join me again. And what is tomorrow's question? That is what it is. So so you'll see me posting it later, but the question I have for you, 
what is let me rephrase that I know what I'm going to say this. what would you like to hear on Pagans tonight I'll be posting that on my Facebook pages and other places what do you want to hear on Pagans tonight well, folks, we're going to go ahead and close. We're finishing it. We want to thank our sponsors, and we're going to have more sponsors. We already had them already lined up, but tonight, tonight's sponsor is our favorite uh, is our favorite online school, and that is Pagans Tonight Radio. So we're going to go do that. You can do have yours for your business to help us out. Pagans Tonight Radio is sponsored by WitchSchool.com. Your anyone, anywhere, anytime online magical education. So, folks, good. You can always email me at edthepagan at gmail.com, edthepagan at gmail.com. I'll be back, and thank you for celebrating this 13th anniversary and sharing this very special interview. Go ahead and share. Go ahead and expand. And we'll be back tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, and 7 o'clock for all you East Coasters. And then you want to know what? It'll be 10 a.m. in the Philippines, so we, you know that's important, too. So we're all out there in the world. Do a good job. Blessed be, and make it a great day. <laughs>